Let's go. You're listening to Making Data Simple, where we make the world of data effortless, relevant, and yes, even fun. Hey folks, welcome back to Making Data Simple. Al Martin here. We've got a lot of things going on in the world today. Pandemics, elections, social issues. It is a lot. So I hope everyone is extremely well. This message meets with you well, and hopefully we'll give you a little relief and uh, have some fun today. Today, I have Lisa Palmer. Lisa has worked in corporate, nonprofit, government. I I don't know if there's any place that, Lisa, you haven't worked, but I'll I'll try to do my best here. Data and AI, professional services, C-suite, technology research and advisory services, IT, marketing, sales, damn near everything. She's currently pursuing her doctorate in artificial intelligence. She is the chief technical advisor with Splunk Technologies. Before that, she was a professor at Southern Nazarene University. Well, you might have to explain this, but she worked for Teradata, global account strategist. And then she was vice president and America's regional manager for Gartner. Uh, A lot of good stuff there. You have an amazing CV, Lisa. So I I think I'll I'll let you do it justice. I would like to hear about yourself, your experience, what your passions are, and then we'll go from there if that's okay. Thank you, Al, for having me. I'm happy to be here. As far as my background, let me put it into three buckets for everyone, perhaps to make it a little bit easier to consume. I started my career as an IT practitioner I actually am an engineer from my undergrads in engineering, and I spent two whole months in engineering, learned data structures, found myself in IT, and spent a a long period of time in tech as a result of that. I was all across the IT spectrum through the years with my last role culminating as a chief innovation officer, which was a dual role of both CIO and CMO in a financial services organization. Then kind of the second bucket of expertise is around sales, and I spent six years in an enterprise selling capacity for Microsoft to kind of kick off my selling uh, period of my career. And then the third bucket is really around research and advisory services and working specifically with executives to help to wrap their minds around how, what does digital transformation mean, such a buzzword, What does it mean? How do we apply the fantastic research that's done to help us to build out what the future of our enterprises look like as we leverage tech in more significant ways? And so doing that was it was a fantastic opportunity to interact with hundreds of C-suite professionals that are really challenged with helping to transform their organizations during, of course, this year uh, and incredibly difficult period in history, not only from an economic perspective, but from a purely human perspective as well. So I have throughout my tenure always loved data and my my heart's been in and around data. And I believe that we have the opportunity to create fantastic impact upon our human experience and our ability to actually support and engage and create a better, more equitable experience globally by smart leveraging of technology, and that's all underpinned by data. So I found myself work in the data field again recently, and am absolutely excited to be the chief technical advisor at Splunk, who brings data to everything, 
literally talking about bringing data into every question that businesses pose and making sure that we're able to drive real-time decisioning with data and artificial intelligence, which is, of course, really near and dear to my heart being so closely linked to that. So hopefully those three buckets make my experience make a little bit more sense. And then wrapped around all of that is my love of education. And you'll see that, you know, I'm still a professor. I spend a great deal of my weekends doing homework at this point, and <laughs> which has made me renew my empathy for those that are my students on the other side of that conversation as well. So this is what I heard, Lisa. Uh, you are an IT practitioner. You've got leadership around sales. You've been a research. You're a professor. You're a student. You're doing a little bit of everything. I think that uh, I hope you recognize how rare those talents are. Usually you got one, two, you're really good at sales or you're really good at technology. Uh, you must be really good at everything. <laughs> That's what it sounds like. <laughs> really busy as well. Well, I really appreciate the kind words there, Al. It does keep me busy, I will admit that. I think that one of the benefits that I've gotten, and I actually, I read this someplace, and I wish that I could recall who the author was so I could credit them appropriately, but I heard someone refer to a career jungle gym versus a career ladder where you somewhat follow your passions and continue to build your portfolio of experiences. And I think that that's really what has happened for me through my career. I've really focused on driving impact where I can, and that has led me into some different core and critical roles. And that now at this juncture in my career gives me a unique lens because to your point, that's not a path that most people would take, right? So I love to pull together that different background of experience and help customers. That's really the best thing about what I've gotten to do consistently throughout my career is to help customers. What would you say your brand is? Amongst all the stuff that you discussed, though, how would you describe your brand? I mean, where's your, where's your passion lie? I mean, what is the central unit to everything? That desire to create an impact to help customers be successful in the pursuit of either their economic or their purpose-oriented goals, which I love what has happened in, you know, in 2019, 181 of the world's largest companies signed an accord indicating their commitment to purpose as organizations in addition to, of course, their responsibilities from a profit perspective. And to see uh, that transition happen, particularly on a global scale, to where we are able to start to really apply technology in ways that are designed to impact employees, impact constituents, impact customers. It's a really exciting time in history. And I choose in today's times to focus on the positivity of that amidst some of the real challenges that we're facing from a humanity perspective this year. So I see that you've been at Splunk since October. So you decided to take a new job in the middle of a pandemic? Yes, I decided to take a new job in the middle of a pandemic. Sounds like a fantastic idea, right, Al? Started yeah, this, yeah. these conversations with Splunk many months ago. And their, their focus on two things really attracted me to it and, and made me want to make this commitment at this moment in time. They have a focus on real-time decisioning. And 
I believe that the more that we can enable our front lines personnel, our front lines managers, those individuals that are really in the trenches, the more that we can inform the work that they're doing and put the power of data in their hands to make decisions at the source, the more quickly we're going to be able to create that positive impact that organizations are seeking to create. And so that real-time element to what Splunk does is very enticing to me. And then, you know, they have a a focus on this data to everything idea. And the concept of being able to truly apply data across every question that is posed is something that excites the visionary in me and makes me really want to dig into that and dig into some of the things, the potential behind that. So, you know, you see things like data being applied to help to fight wildfires and you see data being applied to do things like fight human trafficking or to improve what's happening on a global scale with with the human treatment of people all around the world. And so there's lots of ways that we can take this data to everything concept to really elevate humanity and do so in a way that's also profitable, which I believe we have to be able to do that to continue to drive the economy. And what's really best for our constituents is to make sure that not only are we delivering on the promise, but we're delivering on the profitability elements as well. And I think that Splunk's positioned really well to do that. And that's what drew me to it. The podcast team, Kate, who's one of our producers, Steve and I, we were interested in having you on the show because we want to hear your perspective, you know, that drill down to what you described on AI and what you've seen from your experience, education, the type of data that backs uh, good AI, et cetera. I'd like to leave it open-ended. I'd appreciate it. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about both the pros and cons of technology like artificial intelligence. You know, artificial intelligence is somewhat of a catchphrase at this point. And from my perspective, we have to always think about the risks that are associated with new technologies just as much as we need to be excited about the possibilities for technologies. And of course, AI has been on the scene for 50 years and yet is really just now something that is ubiquitous. It's really in every element of your daily lives as a consumer and certainly in a B2B market space. So I want us to be really thoughtful about things like the fact that we do not have a governance structure that identifies what's good artificial intelligence or what's bad artificial intelligence. You know, there's nothing that says that decisions that are being made have to be good for humanity. We have no standards that really even establish that. So right now, organizations that are investing in the creation of their own AI solutions are really being held accountable by themselves, by their commitment to their customers and to their shareholders to create responsible AI solutions. And Although I absolutely applaud the efforts that are in place to do that from those profitable entities perspective, 
I wonder if that is the best solution for us as we look forward. Do we really want individual organizations to be self-policing around technology that's as high impact potential as artificial intelligence and machine learning are? You're alluding to a, you know, either government or otherwise to be able to uh, begin to enforce or at least put some kind of policing on AI to keep us on the, the straight and narrow. Give us some examples if you have some and, and what would your solution be? Yeah, so let's think about things that are commonly in the news. So let's take artificial intelligence and autonomous vehicles, for example. So today, decisions that are being made that are being embedded into the artificial intelligence models into the algorithms are all being made by those individuals or whomever we want to talk about from an autonomous vehicle perspective. So that means that somewhere an an individual or maybe a group of individuals inside of those organizations are deciding if the choices, if you're going to get into an accident and the choice is to either run into a multi-million dollar mansion or run into an elderly person on the street, we are entrusting those individuals to decide that it is the right thing to do to train that model to hit property versus people. So obviously that's an extreme example, but those are the kinds of choices that we're leaving in the hands of individuals. And it's not that I question that they want to do the right thing. If that's something I've seen play out over and over in technology through the years, I've absolutely seen a commitment by technologists to do the quote right thing, but it's a lot for us to expect of individuals or groups of individuals in those entities to be making these very high-end complex societal decisions outside the purview of some kind of a governance structure. Your point is that we're behind. We haven't implemented any rules or really got out in front of this such that uh, we're letting the companies police themselves. You know, you, you think we need to advance that further is the bottom line. I would like to see us create an approach that is, you know, more widespread and committed to overall well-being than these things that are so very specifically siloed and under the control of people who are really charged with making sure that their entities are profitable. You know, there's lots of different things that are in play, um, both on a national as well as a global stage. Some organizations are advocating, for example, for us to have self-governing bodies where these corporations that are engaged with AI creation are signing up to be members of organizations that help to self-govern them. Uh, There's lots of different approaches that are being batted around and considered, and I certainly don't have the (laughs) end-all, be-all answer uh, figured out just by myself at this point. So I want to talk about the underpinning of data, but I have a question around bias. You can try to be as non-biased as possible, but you know everybody's got bias. We've got cognitive bias where when you're setting up the problem, you got framing bias when you're laying out the experimental design, you got selection bias when you're picking algorithms. And at the end of the day, and a colleague of mine was talking about this the other day where, you know, two pieces of data can likely be correlated you know, whether it was race, address, zip code, all of a sudden it becomes biased in some way. So that underpinning of data 
that causes issues. So let's talk about the underpinning of data and does bias worry you in the same way? Bias absolutely worries me. There's a fascinating book that was written by Caroline Criado Perez, uh, Invisible Women, Data Bias in a World Designed for Men. It's a fascinating read with a lot of statistics and specific examples of how things are designed. Most bias is completely unintentional. And I'll give you, uh, you know, kind of a personal story. When I went for my first field engineering job and I needed steel-toed boots and you can't find steel-toed boots in a size five women's shoe. There's specific real examples of how different, you know, the world is designed for certain expectations and there are biases that are so unintentional, but very real. The only way to overcome that is to make sure that you really, truly have a diverse group of people that are collaborating and working together because they see things that others don't see. It's all about our perspectives and our purviews and our life experiences that lead us to see things differently. And so I absolutely am concerned about bias and never from an intentional perspective, but we don't see what we don't see, right? I mean, it's just a human fact. Yeah, it's kind of like the correlation I was talking about before with race, address, zip code. You don't intend, but you put these things together. All of a sudden, you got bias that's inherent and, and nobody intended it at all. It's you know, accidental, if you will. You're an expert in data, AI, many other things as we've already established. What is the importance of data curation, particularly now you're at Splunk? And what are some of the pitfalls of the data if it's not properly curated? You know, it's really important for us to think about uh, data science in the context of the type of work that is done, that we have the best quality data sets possible, uh, you know, to be able to train the models that we are creating from an AI perspective. So think about things like the ingestion of data and that part of the process where we're trying to make sure that we're pulling in all of the data that's possible and that we're looking for areas that we've missed. So for example, if I were to play out the lack of information or lack of data around women, there's a massive problem with a lack of disaggregation based on gender that leads to flawed conclusions. So for example, there are areas in healthcare where the outcomes for somebody who's a biological female would be very different for the outcomes for somebody that's a biological male based on certain anticipated treatments. And yet a lot of the data hasn't been disaggregated by gender. And so models that have been trained on this are making recommendations that would be good for biological males and potentially even harmful for biological females. So It's really important when we think about the data that we have, that the data sets are complete, that we look for things that aren't there, which is a really hard thing to do, right? It's really hard to identify what's missing in the data that we're working on. So making sure that we're looking at our data in a way that ensures that the data sets are as complete as possible, that the data sets are clean and accurate before you start to apply that data to problem solving or to creating things that are predictive or prescriptive in nature 
it's very, very important that the basis of that data is as solid and sound as possible. Sounds good. Anything we didn't hit on the data piece? Because I do want to talk about a topic called flipping the digital leadership that uh, I've noticed in your bio. Uh, anything on data that wasn't said that you want to you want to hit on before we move on? I think we're good, Al. All right. So tell me about what it means to flipping to digital leadership. So from my perspective, when I think about flipping to digital leadership, this is about embracing the idea that data needs to inform your decisions and it can't just be historical data. We need to lean into this idea that getting real-time access to information, certainly near real-time access to data that informs decisions is absolutely critical to the long-term well-being of organizations. That idea is something that makes some executives uncomfortable. They all want to have data and there's everybody has dashboards and everybody's got visualizations of data in front of them that they use to inform their decisions. But you're talking about really, truly leaning into leading with data that allows you to push decisioning downward in your organization and getting really comfortable with the fact that you can use data to push decisioning down every level in your organization to enable the people that are closest to what's happening to have good information against which to make decisions. And so from my mind, being a really uh, savvy digital leader means that you understand the power of data to drive decisioning at every level in your organization and enabling that to happen by making investments where they need to be made. Investments like, can you give me some examples? So investments like in the technology that you need to be able to elevate that information directly to your frontline decision makers. So giving them information that is historic from A year ago, for example, if we look at, this is a concern that I have as we look forward into 2021, anyone that has built their models, their financial choices, their investments, et cetera, off of historical trends, everything that's happened in 2020 has majorly corrupted the way that they would be making these projections moving forward, right? Nothing looks the same after 2020. And so if you are comfortable doing your forward-facing projections off of history, now what are you faced with? So this is about if you are investing in tools that are putting current information in the hands of every level of your leadership team, then you're giving them the opportunity to make informed decisions off of the reality of what is happening in today's environment. Those are additional technology investments. Those are upskilling investments in your staff. Those are potentially a complete change of some roles in your organization. You need to push towards doing things like 
getting comfortable with chat bots and voice bots to do what machine learning can do really well. And so some of those tasks, now you've got people's time freed up to go do some more higher value ad activities. But those people now need to be informed with data. So there's a lot of shifts that have to take place for you to truly begin to think like digital leaders. And you've got to make both technology and people investments to be able to make that successful transition. Very good. Thank you for that. As chief technical advisor, what are you working on right now? What are your top priorities? Splunk has fantastic technology and we have a lot of really great use cases where we can demonstrate what's possible if you think about things from a data to everything positioning. You know, this is a significant pivot for Splunk as an organization. And so making sure that we are nailing this messaging and helping people to understand why we have that pursuit in mind, what we're going to be doing, helping customers to do. And of course, that's where my heart lies. I want to be able to help customers to be successful. I want us to be able to help employees to grow through the changes that are going to be coming as technologies like artificial intelligence shift the workforce landscape. And so, you know, that focus on making sure that that messaging is really clear and bringing that to life for customers, it's where I'm spending a lot of thought time as well as a lot of collaborative time inside of Splunk. And I'm really excited about continuing to get to do that as we look forward into the next fiscal year. How does that differ from some of the work you were doing at Gartner? I mean, you were doing a lot of uh, advisory services in Gartner, or is it very similar? Definitely some similarities, right? So helping customers to understand how they can envision the next version of themselves, the transformation of their organizations, that's a lot of similarities to what I was doing from a Gartner perspective, particularly with having those conversations at the C-suite level. The difference probably from a Splunk perspective is that I actually get to be involved in the execution and seeing those solutions brought to life and get to be involved in the actual bring it to life phase. I often didn't have the privilege of being able to do that from a pure advisory perspective at Gardner. So it's a great opportunity to get to really dig into the execution piece as well and walk lockstep with customers to help them to make that come to life. I often wondered about that. I mean, I'm always sometimes envious of Gartner because, you know, I, I, look, I'm a continuous learner. I like to learn and you can learn and, and, and provide advice, et cetera. But then you, you're not always on the front line either. Sounds like now you can mix the experience that you have in terms of putting it into action and see the fruits of your labor, I guess. Exactly. And having been an IT practitioner myself for years, to me, this is a fantastic almost a dream role for me to be able to get to do both and get to combine that with my doctoral work around artificial intelligence. It's just a fantastic crossover opportunity for me to bring these different veins of thought and experience that are all important to me to get to bring that all to life inside of Splunk's fantastic culture and wrapped in their powerful technology. It's a great opportunity for me, Al. I'm excited about it. You kind of hit on another question I had for you. So with all that you're doing, why is pursuing your doctorate in artificial intelligence so important to you? Pursuing my doctorate has been a lifelong goal. 
I'm actually first-generation college graduate in my family. It's been a long-time goal for me to pursue it. And earlier this year, I started my program also in the pandemic, which makes me chuckle a little bit when I look back on it and think, my goodness, what were you thinking? It seemed so appropriate that this is an inflection point in history that has so much power and potential. And I want to be part of that. And I want to contribute to the greater body of knowledge around artificial intelligence. And, you know, from a research perspective, that that's what researchers seek to do, right, is to extend the existing body of knowledge. And I want to do that. And I feel like I have a unique opportunity to do that because of my career trajectory, the network that I have, the individuals that I have the opportunity to interact with from a customer perspective, an academic perspective, a governmental perspective. I almost feel a an obligation to leverage my unique position uh, to grow that body of work. And so it just seemed like it was perfect timing. A couple of things on leadership, if you wouldn't mind. Overall, I mean, you're doing a lot of different things. Great leader. What's your advice for other leaders out there? Listen more. We're just in a, we're in such an interesting time in history. And I have personally taken on some new listening channels for myself, identified some groups of people that have very diverse backgrounds through Slack channels, through LinkedIn, uh, LinkedIn pods, um, just lots of different channels where I've tried to open up my listening lens to hear from people that are coming uh, from very different perspectives. And I think it's a critical time as leaders for us to listen. I think it's very important to be seen and particularly for myself as a woman leader in technology. I actually started uh, 2020 with my annual theme is my voice this year. And I felt like it was really important at this particular juncture in my career to make sure that other women can see me and can access me. And so I do interact with people through LinkedIn heavily. I schedule quick conversations as much as my schedule will allow just to make sure that We are creating an environment within which we're learning together. We're all growing together and we are purposely creating the future that we want versus ending up where the tides take us. I'm so glad you said that. I mean, I'm so glad you said listening. That's like a a mic drop. You know, right now, given the political climate we are in, no matter what side you're on or whatever, man, I just can't help but think we could listen to one another. Nobody's listening. So I'm 100% behind your comments there, and I'm glad that you uh, you said them. Hey, one thing is bothering me that I wanted to get, make sure that I asked you. You know, you talk about real-time data and AI, but I, I kind of associate that with leadership. That's why I'm asking the question. How, as a leader, do you push down those decision rights or those decision points using real-time data and AI? What techniques do you use to really make that practical? You know, this is about making sure that we visualize information that's trusted. You've got to have trusted information. Visuals are very powerful, but doing things that allow your organization to create, you know, I'm a big advocate for create structure, uh, you know, guidelines for what success looks like. I call it true north. 
you know, create true north for your organization. Make sure that every level of individual in your organization knows what true north looks like. They know what that is, what success looks like, what good looks like. And then arm them with the data that they need to be able to make their own decisions with that clear understanding of what true north is. And, you know, from my perspective, that's a, that is a basic leadership tenant, right? We want to be really clear about what good looks like. And then we've got to create the data that allows us to feel comfortable. Every individual in our organization understands what good looks like, that now the data is going to inform them and we're going to give them the power and the autonomy to make decisions based within that framework. So it's really important that we combine these kind of classic leadership ideas with the twist of what it looks like to be a true digital leader and that is you know pushing that you know making those technology investments creating the governance and structure and the clarity of vision so that everybody in your organization is all to move you towards that true north here's where i landed number one is to understand your gaps so you can anticipate, be prescriptive with AI. Number two, push down decision with real-time data. Number three, great leaders or expert listeners. How's that? I love it, Al. (laughs) All right, hey, what is your prediction for next year? Where do you think we're going to – I would say like three years from now, but, yeah, look, I don't even care about three years from now at this point. I'm just interested in getting through this year. What do you think will be – like if we were to talk this time next year – where, where do you think the macroeconomics, the environment, where, where do you think we'll be? Nothing like that tough question, Al. So <laughs> I think that in many ways we're going to see a continuation of angst around the pandemic. And we're going to see a continuation of things like the pivot that has been made in supply chains all around the world from efficiency to resiliency. I think we're going to see that trend continue. We uh, you know, uncovered some real fragility in our ability to meet customer expectations from a supply chain perspective because of so many years of focusing on efficiency. And so that pivot towards resiliency, I think, is going to continue to grow and expand as we go into next year. I think that we're going to see a continued focus on customer experience. What do customers want? And organizational shifts to try to lean heavily into those customer wants and needs. There will be winners and losers coming out of this particular challenging time in our history. And I predict that the winners will be those that smartly invest in technology and in their people simultaneously to make the workforce shifts that are going to be needed to keep people productive and profitable, you know, in this uh, challenging environment. I think that's a good summary as well. And speaking of Gartner, I was reading a Gartner report the other day. And, you know, if anything that this pandemic has done is it's demonstrated the value of cloud, the value of subscription, the value of digital transformation that's able to scale and and thrive through a, a pandemic. So I'm optimistic I think there's going to be a lot of investment in that digital transformation, and that's what most of the reports say. So uh, you're either going to be a leader or a laggard, and uh, 
look, sounds like you're on the leading side of things. So as I would expect, hey, as I close up, I want you to play a game with me. I like to play Would You Rather. Sometimes I play other games, but I'm the host, so I kind of do what I want. (laughs) So I'm hopeful that you'll play a game with me. Would you do Would You Rather with me? Absolutely, Al. Okay, so here's how it works. I'll give you two topics or or two ideas. you got to pick one. I try to make it hard, but it seems like it's pretty easy. I don't know. Sometimes people get caught up. But real simple, pick what side or the other. You can do that, right? (laughs) Sounds like I can play this game. Go, Al. Yeah. So I'm setting you up. See, that's how it works. (laughs) No, this is real easy. All right. So hiring with AI or hiring by humans? Can I pick option three? See, I knew you you thought it was going to be easy, right? (laughs) Uh, Option three. What's option three? So option three is I believe that that hiring is a perfect example of where you can use some of the high-end capabilities of machine learning to inform your decision-making. The actual decision-making has got to be done by humans. So I would say that what you said is there's a mix. See, that's what everybody tries to stay on the fence, right? I think your answer was humans if it had to come down to it, but I understand the mix. It's augmented intelligence, right? Easy question. Do you prefer a movie or a book? Oh, I'm a book person. I consume books by the piles, and this year it's been large digital piles, but love books. How many books do you read on a regular basis? I try to read a book a week. Oh, that's and, pretty good. Well, that's I will tell you that I have some hacks so that I get through the... Oh, I need the hacks. <laughs> this is why I asked the question. Right. Shoot me the hacks. Okay, so a couple of things. One is that I love the new capability in Kindle to have, you know, the Kindle app will now read to you. You can, you know, flip back and forth between having it read to you, um, which I also love Audible, by the way. But uh, the thing I love about the Kindle app is that you can do either. And so what I like to do in Kindle is highlight the things that I think are important or valuable as I go through the Kindle book. And I will often flip back and forth between reading and listening as I go through, you know, different parts of my day that allow that one is um, more conducive than the other. And then when you're done, you can actually export a summary of those things that you highlighted. And then I like to share that with people that I think might find that valuable. So I can shoot out the summary that I've created to others that might get some benefit from not going through all of the details of the book. Um, so that's one thing I like to do as as a hack to help others who are also trying to uh, meet their book reading expectations. The other thing is I love to listen to books at 2x. So audio reading, you know, if you've got a nine hour book and you can knock it out in four and a half hours, that makes it achievable in a week. Some books I just buy the summaries that come with the books, you know, the, the abbreviated versions. I don't know whether that throws me out of the real book reader club or not, but I definitely (laughs) take advantage of all of those different things that allow me to grab the main concepts and to learn from these brilliant people who take the time to put their thoughts into books. No, no. I mean, to each their own. By the way, those are some of the hacks that I use as well. So uh, I think they're, I mean, look, for those that are listening, I I think they work well because I like to like go for runs. I'll listen and I'll come home and read. The only thing is I'm getting sick of staring at the screen. So I'm trying to go back to regular books and just sit down and, and rest my mind and read a normal book, what I would call it. I have started doing that as well, Al. I think that uh, it's a mark of our times, right? 
I just can't stare at another screen. It's killing me. All right, I got a couple more. We're finishing up. AI as a driver or human as a driver? Oh, I'm definitely human as a driver. Even though AI can make all these decisions and they say it's going to be safer? I think we're a ways away from that. So I'm going to stick with human driving for a while. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Very good. I like it. East Coast or West Coast? Oh, tough. This one's really tough. I'm situated in in the middle of America, and I love to go to both coasts. Um, I'm a particular... Uh, particular fan of the North Carolina beaches and obviously the California beaches. So you'll probably see the common theme there. Love to go to anywhere where there's water. So boy, that I'm failing miserably at your game, Al. I'm not very good at one or the other. (laughs) That's all right. We'll we'll let you pass on that one. Corporate or nonprofit? Because you've worked, I mean, part of your bio, you say corporate, nonprofit, Uh, government. So I will tell you that I love the purpose-oriented function of nonprofits, but I am wired for corporate environments. Okay, good answer. Thank you for being on the podcast. I've learned a lot from you. Very knowledgeable. And uh, look, I promise you the listeners are going to get a good deal of information out of this. So thank you for being here. I wish you much success. Uh, Let's get out of 2020, but it sounds like you got a new role and and things are exciting. Uh, Good luck to you. Thanks for hosting me, Al. It's been a pleasure. All right. Thank you guys for listening. You can always reach us at almartintalksdata at gmail.com, and I will see you on the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Making Data Simple podcast, where we make data fun. Be sure to visit ibmbigdatahub.com forward slash podcast to access the show notes and uncover even more great episodes. Remember, the views expressed here are those of the host and its guests and do not necessarily represent the views of IBM. Until next time, let's go over and out. Out.